Hello and welcome, Ducks fans. Where and whenever you are watching or listening, this is the Once a Duck podcast, where we bring you up to date with current and former University of Oregon athletes and give you never-before-heard stories about your favorite teams and moments in Duck history. I'm Nick Cody, former offensive lineman. You can find me on Twitter at JustFollow61. Following my lead block and taking it to the end zone, as always, is my co-host, Sam Tidrick-Schmidt. You can reach him at Samuel101TS. Sam, I know you're excited, but with the Stanford game just over 24 hours away, can you believe it's finally here? Nick, I cannot believe that we are finally at this point after months of waiting, after so much time sitting back, watching college football, excited to see some Pac-12 play. It's finally here. You've got your nightmare green jersey on. That means it's time to rock and roll. I've got a little throwback on that I'm rocking just for our special guest today. It's going to be a really fun episode. I'm so excited. People, if you want to go back, listen to our last episode titled We're Back. It's available anywhere you get your podcast, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud. Follow at Once a Duck, like, share, subscribe, do all of the above. It helps us so that we can bring more content to all of you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, it, we want to thank our audience as always for reaching out, being interactive on Twitter. Uh, they were very quick to guess who our guest was going to be for this very special Stanford episode. And uh, for that, we went out and reached uh, into our pocketbooks at, here at the budget. And we uh, handed at um, Skoducks58 a $25 Nike gift card for his guess of Rob Beard. So, uh, Thank you for participating, and you guys got to pay attention on Twitter and be quick because uh, our fans are very quick to guess who our who our guests are, who we're paying attention to, and uh, who we're going to have on the show. So you got to make sure you're ready for it. Man, and I'm so glad that we got the kind of fans that can figure that out because I just know that that means they're going to be excited for every interview, excited for every episode. Episodes coming out every every day before game day, I should say, moving throughout the season afterwards i know it's going to be a really fun ride it's going to be a great time nick i know you've got a little something prepared to start our episode today why don't you take it away yeah going back to our uh, 2011 life manual another reference from here uh our quote of the day for this episode what is the difference between an obstacle and an opportunity our attitude towards it every opportunity has a difficulty and every difficulty has an opportunity and uh, I think this is very fitting for Stanford because uh, over the years, particularly in the time I was at Oregon, uh, Stanford has long become sort of a rival with Oregon, not just in terms of on the football field, but stylistically, um, you know, in terms of the way these teams are being built. And you could see now that uh, Mario Cristobal has come in and really wanted to insert a toughness that Stanford once seemed to kind of uh, promote in terms of their own program and something that I even got to see Jim Harbaugh try and build through the recruiting process. Man, that makes so much sense. And that's going to be so fun to get into and talk about. Speaking of that recruiting process, I know that you have a little bit of experience with it before we dive into the X's and O's before we dive into the all times before we dive into the, this game versus that game this year versus that year. Why don't you break down that recruiting process just a little bit? Well, I know uh, a lot of people out there, especially on uh, Twitter, like to uh, jab at Oregon fans about the education. But uh, I would like to make it clear at this very moment that uh, I was an official Oregon scholar baller. And uh, I did actually get recruited a ton by Stanford. And they were in my top three when I finally decided on the Oregon Ducks. 
Um, unfortunately for me, I did not take them all that seriously because I, I even got some of their recruiting letters mixed up with uh, Harvard, as you can see there. Um, oh, scholarly guy. Well, you know, uh, I honestly didn't uh, didn't know football as well as I probably should have as a high schooler in 2007 and a junior. I had a lot going on, but uh, yeah, getting recru recruiting letters and uh, didn't know necessarily that they were even in different conferences. So that uh, goes to tell you kind of where Stanford football was at the time of 2007. They were not even yet to be on the rise, really. But uh, then we get in the letters from Harbaugh, and this is a guy – I will never forget because I went down for a Nike camp and it was uh, 2007 or 2006, some year like that. But I remember seeing some freaks there, some guys that are playing there. Tyron Smith was the offensive lineman that just wowed me. I remember seeing that guy and just thinking that is a cut above. That's why he's a five-star. I'm a four-star. I remember thinking that having that moment in the back of my head um, and trying to shut all that out and perform because camp uh is running pete carroll's there uh throwing footballs i believe he got after that some kind of uh a warning that that might be a violation is throwing footballs with recruits and stuff so he had to tone that down but i i just remember it very vividly and it was on stanford's campus and then they they had that coincide with a recruiting visit which uh i got to meet for the very first time one mr willie taggart who was the running backs coach at the time. Yeah, I bet you didn't see that one coming. Uh, you you hopefully were buckled up for that one to veer left there. Uh, but anyways, he he uh, I didn't get to talk to him much. He just introduced himself, shook my hand. Uh, he was the running back coach at the time, so not a whole lot of interaction. But he definitely, you know, they want offensive line guys. So uh, And everybody there was kind of pitched in and recruiting on me. So that was a very interesting time. Uh, some of the stuff that... Uh, even going back and reading here, uh, I got one letter that was sent in April and one letter that was sent in the fall as they're going for through fall camp. But you can tell through a lot of these things. Now, while I'm not the biggest Harbaugh fan um, or even, you know, Taggart in terms of uh, their execution on the field or their style of play. One thing I do like is the way they do try and reinforce a standard of toughness. And even in these recruiting letters, you can hear uh, Harbaugh since my arrival at Stanford. I've seen our team make a transformation that is exciting. Our players are buying into the goals of the program, and it shows in every position meeting, conditioning, workout, and practice session. On the field, tempo, focus, and competitive nature of our team is tremendous. What we need to complete the transformation is players like you. We want dedicated, tough-minded athletes who love the game of football. We're looking for young men that have the work ethic to succeed at the highest level and the passion for the game that separates one individual from the next. Who's that sound a lot like to you, Sam? Oh man, that sounds a whole lot like some people that I think have been here around Eugene recently. Yeah. And uh, it, you can definitely hear a lot of the coaching tree there with Willie Taggart and uh, even some of the things that Mario Cristobal talks about a lot of the culture of this program moving forward. So that's something that going back and, and trying to uh, kind of refamiliarize myself with that process, I, I just remembered thinking wow that's one thing I, I remember really reminded me now here's where they really seem to differentiate to me because when I when I shook Mario Cristobal's hand on a, an Oregon spring game uh, alumni kind of event um, looked into his eyes and and he started talking football right away with just a passion and an energy that like Rob Mosley talked about in our last episode you you can see it just transcends throughout the program the problem with 
in terms of kind of, well, even not just Harbaugh, but even Lily Taggart, I didn't have the buy-in personally. And that's one of the things that didn't sell me on Stanford. Cause I remember right after, uh, you know, their event and having that camp, they took us on the newly built stadium or newly renovated and right up above the scoreboard, there's a little plateau area with some grass and they had a little barbecue there. And I just remember Harbaugh coming up and trying to strike conversation. And, uh, you know, my mom, who's on the trip with me, is kind of, you know, falling for that kind of coaching charm that you hear from pitch from a lot of coaches. And then he, he wanted to talk to me about the steak sandwiches. And I just remember being like, I know I'm a lineman. And I know we're just a bunch of fat dudes. But, man, if you're going to pitch me going to Stanford and, you know, it's the summertime, so the campus is completely empty and it looks more like you're walking around a cathedral than a campus. So, for me, I just wasn't feeling at home at all. And then, you know, coach isn't talking to me about, you know, football or your career. He's coming up. I'm Jim Harbaugh. And how about those steak sandwiches? Aren't those great? Oh, I'll get you going in the morning. And it's like, all right. Yeah, it wasn't for me. I, I like people that were very direct. And, you know, that that was more the the Bilotti tempo and eventually, you know, chip the most direct. But anyways, just taking it back a little bit and uh, a reminder for everyone that, uh, Scholar ballers exist at Oregon too, baby. Scholar ballers exist at Oregon too. Oregon and Stanford, well, Nick, they've been playing for an awful long time. I don't know if you know that. Do you know the first time these two teams were able to meet each other was? No, Sam, you're going to have to hit me with that and all the stats. I know you've prepared for this very special episode. Oh, well, that would be the year 1900. These two faced off. It was a 34 to nothing Stanford shellacking of the Webfoots at the time. But since then, it's been a pretty great rivalry. Both teams have been able to go back and forth quite a bit. Stanford definitely dominated the early years, but Oregon's recently, starting in about the Rich Brooks era, has been able to put in some work against the Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, and you know, it. it it's been crazy to see the transition of that program and the ups and downs of relevancy. It's like, um, particularly in my time, because, you know, to see them rise to the top of the Pac-12 and be right there in contention with Oregon for so many years, kind of back and forth trading off that, it was just amazing because you just remember, I remember growing up as a kid, you saw that Stanford-USC game that everyone talks about where everyone just think how could, like, however many consecutive games or whatever it was, like Stanford was just a kind of a lowly team and like not like their games weren't even televised against Oregon. I remember even as a recruit, it was really hard to try and find those games on TV. It's like, no, nope, they wanted to hide that away. It was even harder than trying to find some on the PAC 12 network, Sam. Oh man. that's, that's tricky. Especially if, especially if you're some unlucky fans out there, that's definitely not an easy task to achieve. What I will say is that probably the majority of these games all time weren't televised. The majority of these Stanford wins, I have a hard time thinking were on TV, unless you were maybe able to have a local channel somewhere around here in Eugene or down there in the Bay Area. Stanford all time, they lead this rivalry. 49 wins to 33 for Oregon. There was a tie in there all the way back in the early 1900s. But recently, Oregon's been playing a whole lot better. They had a string of wins from 2002 to 2008 before the 2009 game that I know we'll talk a little bit more about here coming up. But the Ducks have definitely done their part to make this a much more interesting rivalry. And I think the games that we're going to break down are going to be a good example of that. Yeah, I think uh, 
the biggest thing that we you know we can take away from all this history is is none of it really means anything going into this season unfortunately uh who knows the way this game could play out uh it's a it's a season opener and you like to think that a lot of these storylines and stylistically they might give you some idea of how the game's going to play out but as we've already seen with the Oregon depth chart, uh, there's already at least 19 positions that we don't know for certain what we'll see starting out there uh, on the lineup because we have so many ores on the organizational chart. I mean, the organizational chart, you just mentioned it. There are so many ores. I want to ask you, as somebody who's been in these training camps, someone who's been around this, this type of, I don't want to say uncertainty, but the, these type of competitions going into a season – how much do you put into an organizational chart like this? How much do you really look this up and down as something set in stone versus just kind of an idea of who we're going to be able to see out on the field come Saturday? Well, there's two different ways you can look at it. And there's the internal and external perception. Um, if you're within the team, if you're within that building right now, you have to look at that as a tier. Um, you have to look at that as hopefully you've earned the respect of the coaches to be put out there in a public way in one of those starting roles or an or or even a backup position like all of those things should be not just something you go and pin on your chest but a standard you hold yourself to of excellence knowing that you know like i i know as well as anyone that the, the fierce competition that comes in at oregon you know anything could happen and someone could take your spot so I think that's a very important thing is that there is some recognition of that, but not letting that get to your head as a player and having that be something that you're not entitled to, but you're, you are excited to go out and earn every single day you're on the field, not just game day, but in practices. I think that's really important. Externally, I think the biggest thing is, is it's a headache for Stanford. Um, they have to go and obviously with the quarterback situation, a great example um, they have to go back and look at not only tape on Shuck, but they have to look at Brown too and go look at, you know, Boston College tape to see, you know, if this is really an or um, we have to at least spend this much time in our defensive meetings and that much time in our defensive practices trying to understand Oregon could come out with this quarterback or this quarterback and who really knows. Do you believe that it is a, a strategy by the coaching staff to force Stanford to have to look at more tape, to look at more possibilities of what they could be facing? It could be. It, or, I mean, even going into the season, if you feel comfortable with two quarterbacks, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. There aren't going to be enough games for this to be a long, heated controversy. If you have a team that has complete buy-in and you really look at those guys as competitive football players and you look at, you look at this season already, Trevor Lawrence is already missing, already not one game, probably going to be two games, going to miss Notre Dame too, I believe too, right? Yep. So who knows? You have to believe. I think this year it's an advantage to believe that you have two guys that could go out there and start for you. Well, I can tell you a couple of places where there definitely aren't any oars for the Oregon Ducks, the running back and receiver positions. Sure, maybe a little bit further down the depth chart, you might get some of that, but we know the starters, CJ Verdell, he's going to be the feature back. We'll see a lot of Dye and Habibalikio as well, but we know that CJ Verdell is going to be the man. As well as at wide receiver, Pittman, Red, Johnny Johnson the third. we kind of have an idea that those are going to be the guys who are going to be getting a whole lot of snaps. Maybe you get some Devin Williams in there too, some Josh Delgado, a little bit of uh, Chris Hudson or Brian Addison as well. But we know for the most part who is going to be the skill guys for the Ducks this upcoming season. 
my biggest question is, can Oregon safely and appropriately get them the ball the way they're supposed to? Well, you know, and I'm really excited to see that with Coach Moore's offense coming in. Um, we obviously, you know, if you've watched any UNLV this year, you can and the Chargers games to compare, you can see that maybe Oregon last year wasn't utilizing Herbert as much as we should. And I think going into the the conference championship game in the Rose Bowl, we said those things. And it was very clear that we were really trying to force the inside run game. Uh, and at times, you know, it, we, we were falling into a bit of predictability. So I think the biggest thing is we're going to see within the first couple of drives right away, how good is our execution? And I think more importantly than even, you know, getting the football to those guys and how creative the offense is, I think the more important thing to look for in tomorrow's game is to try and look for how disciplined is the team. Those things are going to carry over more in this season than anything of learning uh, any concepts of route trees, protections, understanding blitzes. The biggest thing this year is going to be able to be calm, protect the football, and be on the same page with your teammates because it's going to be a crazy year. That's the only thing we can predict is that, you know, week to week, who knows what could happen. We've only got a limited uh, sample of games that you can go out and nationally show the world why Oregon football deserves to be up there with the top schools in the nation. So I think uh, I think we'll get the playmakers the ball. I think the more important thing is once they get it, do they take care of it? And I think if they do, they'll get it to the end zone. And, the, the you know, I think with the defense we have, um, looking over at that defensive side, whew, those those front seven guys are, are pretty tough. And they're, even their backups right now, you look at that, um, obviously, at the defensive end or when they're in that nickel, that Sam position, Kayvon Thibodeau's got that locked down. Uh, you know, Jordan Scott, our, uh, our big man switching to the number three on the inside. Uh, we're, we, I think all the offense has to really do is just take care of the ball because our defense is going to get after people. You read my mind, Nick. I was going to go to the defense next. I want to look at the secondary. I know we talked with Rob Mosley about it. He broke it down phenomenally for us. Looking at it right here, there aren't a whole lot of ords here either. Jamal Hill will be the nickel. Then you've got Mikhail Wright, Diameter Lenore as your corners, Nick Pickett, Verone McKinley as your safeties. How do you feel that that unit, losing a couple of guys, but with some very experienced people stepping up into the roles, how do you see that group faring this coming week as well as a little bit further down the line? Yeah, I think Duck fans were all pretty nervous, especially, you know, when that last domino of Holland kind of fell, which we all were expecting. But uh, getting Lenore back and looking at this definitely has to make you feel a lot better. Uh, Verone McKinley being at that field safety position, I'm excited to see him. Uh, he's electrifying when he gets the football in his hands. And, you know, obviously we won't be able to probably utilize him as much in the return game now, but got to hope he's got to have, you know, a couple interceptions this season that – you know, will be hopefully just as electrifying as it returns. So there's a lot of potential here. Uh, Oregon has really kind of restored themselves at the defensive back position after a little bit of kind of a, a short hiatus, a lull there, where it felt like we were, we were forced to play young guys very early, particularly 2017. I remember when uh, D'Amador was getting thrown out there and, and it felt very like, whoa, we didn't recruit for this year or something because – you know, when you throw a freshman defensive back out there in the Pac-12, that's dangerous. With his, but especially, you know, at the time Mike Leach in the conference, you know, that's that's a tough ask of, of a freshman. So to know someone with that kind of experience coming out and leading this group as a senior, I mean, that that's got to make you feel a lot better. Nick, 
I want to take a second and look at maybe one of our favorite things to look at on the show. Let's go to some special teams really quick. This is something we always have a lot of fun with. Camden Lewis seems to have locked down both the place kicker and kickoff positions. Tom Sneed punting. Kick return, I think, will be very interesting. Mikhail Wright is <laughs> right here as the lead returner. Is this something that you ever are concerned about, having somebody who is so important to one side of the ball or the other also out there on special teams, especially somebody who's going to be returning kickoffs day in and day out, play in and play out? Well, it, Oregon has a history of great special teams players, not just being great on special teams, but going on. And that's where you, you really made your mark and showed that you could be reliable on our defense. You really, we've, and you know, in some can, some cases our offense, but more particularly, I remember a lot of guys coming up, especially my era that, you know, made their mark on kickoff or, you know, punt return or going out there and uh, you know, laying out a, a nasty blocking kick return, just, there were guys that uh, when given the opportunity in those special teams really shined. And then you saw that once they were starters and stars, like a guy like Patrick Chung was still out there diving for every kick, you know, uh, on uh, every punter field goal. And that's just kind of, kind of an attitude you have to have. Uh, in fact, one of the things when I was digging around is every time we'd go into a game under coach Kelly, we had these laminated sheets that had five keys of the game, uh, the offense had five keys to offense and the special teams defense had theirs in the special teams and the special teams. Uh, the goals for Stanford were one score a touchdown on kickoff return, punt return, punt, etc. I don't know if he, I don't know if coach Oz wanted to score on all of those. I think ideally he would, I, I think he meant one of those, but uh, the number two here just com completely, you know, it represents all our special teams compete every single special teams play as if your job or role will be the difference in us winning the game. Number three, empty your tank play so hard, so physical, so energetic and with so much passion that you have nothing left at the end of the game Four, passionately cover every kickoff and punt kickoff tackles inside the 20 punt team. Do not allow one single yard five, no penalties, play smart, control your emotions. And I think, all of those are going to be great things that you're going to see embodied by our guest today, Rob Beard, and are, are really fundamentals of the special teams game in Oregon that I still see carried over today. I have no doubt that that is still carried over to this day. Just to finish going down the list, maybe for the people who just haven't heard yet or want to hear from us, punt return, this is a whole lot of oars. Travis Dye or Micah Pittman or Chris Hudson or Josh Delgado, any one of those guys you can see out there, all just speed demons. Your long snapper. Karsten Battles and Tom Sneed as the holder. Another punter as a holder. I know that's something that's pretty traditional through the years at Oregon. Now I want to get into the Stanford Cardinal team a little bit. This is a team that I know you've looked at a little bit. You've dug into their roster a bit, their depth chart a little bit. And this is a team that experienced a whole lot of people who bounced from the program this past summer, a whole lot of people who transferred out. KJ Costello, just one example. He left, went to Mississippi State. Go in depth a little bit, if you will, on the Stanford Cardinal team. Who are the guys that are going to be lining up against the Ducks come Saturday? So here's the biggest thing is that we we really, again, going into this, um, rosters are going to be so week to week. And what we do know is that they're returning their quarterback from last year uh, who who came in, in in place of Costello. And 
I believe was actually able to lead them in the game with Wazoo to what was a, a passing uh, record for a single game over, I believe it was 509 yards, but you're, you're dealing with something there that uh, obviously there's plenty of arm talent. This guy is a five-star quarterback. Uh, I just think the biggest thing is that he's been compared to a lot of guys that it, it just, I, they don't remind me of Andrew. He doesn't remind me of Andrew Luck. I remember seeing a couple of his games last year and think, well, particularly Stanford in general and thinking this was such a discombobulated Stanford team compared to what we're usually seeing on the field. They, they weren't quite as disciplined. And I think even bigger than, than the rosters itself, because as we've talked about, you know, they've, they've been one of the most depleted teams due to the transfer portal. I think, the biggest thing is going to be getting after that quarterback because if he has anything near a 500-yard day, that's a bad way to start our, our year off. Nick, I personally have a hard time seeing that happening, especially with the talent that Oregon has in the secondary. This Stanford team, they're going to do, I think, what Stanford teams do, though. They want to assert the run. They want to dominate in the trenches. No matter who leaves, no matter who comes in, David Shaw is still going to recruit those tough guys who are going to put in work in the trenches. I think that's exactly what Oregon can expect from Stanford. But this year, as well as last year, as we saw in what was a 21 to 6, excuse me, beat down, down on the farm, Oregon now has the bodies that they can play that kind of game. Yeah, not only do they have the physical type of bodies to match up way better than we did back in my day, but I believe they also have the systems in place and the experience to to really beat Stanford at what traditionally has been their own game. Um, you know, Davis Mills is going to have at least, you know, semi-solid protection. Stanford is always really good at picking up blitzes. They're able to kind of see disguises pretty well, but how does he respond once he gets hit a couple times? Because you only have, I mean, I know Stanford tries to put seven or eight of them out there, but you only have so many offensive linemen. And if you can't, if you have good enough coverage, eventually somebody's bound to get there. So what I'm really interested in seeing in the first game, particularly in the stadium, is how different is it going to be when that quarterback gets hit? Because we, as you and I both know, when Autzen is rocking and everything is going nuts, particularly against Stanford, I mean, you can barely hear, and even those those really disciplined, smart offensive linemen Stanford has, those guys will jump once in a while, and we're not really going to have that luxury this year. No fans in the stands means that it's not – they're going to be playing in Eugene, but the home field advantage may be a little bit less than what you would expect. Still, Stanford is going to be coming in, playing on turf. They're used to that grass field. That is at least a little something in Oregon's favor. Nick? Before we move on to talking to doing one of our favorite things here, and that's talking about past games, why don't you give us what you think the keys to the game are for the Ducks? What is Oregon going to have to do Saturday under the lights on ABC in order to secure a victory? Number one, I'm going to say is take care of the football. I think every game I've ever played against Stanford, that's been the key to the game is the team. I believe every game I've played in that, was with them that whoever won the turnover battle won. And as we saw, particularly in 2018, um, even when you come out and have a really solid game plan, if you don't take care of the football, things can end really badly for you really quickly. So the number one key is, is to take care of the football. Number two is defensively get aligned. Don't 
let Stanford try and trick you with their personnel swaps and trying to, to induce something to get you to make a mistake. The biggest thing with playing Stanford from a defensive standpoint is trying to understand that um, they're trying to isolate some kind of a matchup, whether that be in the running game or in the passing game, and they're going to try and exploit it. And they're, they're going to be very blunt about it. And then once you load up and try and stop that one thing, that, that uppercut is going to come from, you know, either the passing game or counter it with the running game. So the biggest thing is to make sure your alignment and assignment is correct on defense so that you're in position to make a tackle. Maybe it's not going to stop a first down, but maybe you stop a big play from happening, going for a touchdown or putting them in scoring position. So uh, alignment and assignment, just making sure you know your defensive assignment and, and where to line up, because especially with the, you know, the little limited preparation time, I think that's going to be a big factor for a lot of teams this season. We've already seen in college football, a lot of high scoring games, just because defensive guys are out there really confused, particularly when the tempo gets stepped up. Number three, I think the biggest thing is just developing a rhythm and a tempo with this season without any crowd, any fans in the crowd. And that, that, any fans in the stands now even though our cutouts will be there to cheer them on it's not going to be as loud you know it's going to be a whole lot different you know no band or you know we'll see what it ends up actually being like but I just remember that was such a big factor for me as a player is even on days where I wasn't feeling great where I was injured or I wasn't starting I was so hyped up to play in Austin Stadium in front of all those fans so the third key for me is this team's got to bring its own energy and got to find a rhythm this season early and if they can get out with a couple scoring drives and some lockdown defensive drive, you know, drives on the first couple series, uh, I really look forward to them just taking this whole season and, and running with it. Well, Nick, we've taken a ton of time to talk about everything current, everything that needs to be said going into the game this weekend. Now, let's just start working our way backwards a little bit. Oregon and Stanford, especially the last 12 years or so, have had some really good matchups. Last year's game was probably one of the more lopsided affairs. It was a 21 to six victory for Oregon. Justin Herbert absolutely balled out as we know him to do played a great game. Jacob Breland, two touchdowns in that one, another great effort from him. Oregon was able to get some payback for what happened in 2018. We all remember what happened then college game day came to Eugene. It was a huge deal. I know I didn't sleep for probably about 36 hours straight. It was a great time. Even though five hour energy was dragging me through it. Awesome experience. Oregon doesn't get the win though. You mentioned it a little bit. They, they got on top early. They were doing a really good job, but kind of fell apart down the stretch. Didn't work out so well. Given those two years in a row, the heartbreak and then the redemption, what do you think it said about Oregon as they evolve from one year to another and what does it mean for a program to be able to get a big win like that over an opponent that gave them such a heartbreaking loss the season before? Well, I, I think particularly when you lose in the fashion that you did in 2018, you have a lot of teachable moments in that game where, you know, that, those kinds of heartbreaking losses and, and comebacks from other teams that you let happen, that you could have done something differently. And those things can either break you down or they can stick with you and help you build better every single time that you even think about that situation. And I think particularly with the pile on play and the fumbling at the end of the game, um, even in terms of play calling, I think everybody that was involved in that game can go back and learn something from that. Uh, I know personally I was there for that game and I, I think it, a great analogy is I, I had a buddy in town and it was his first duck game. 
And I wanted to take him out and show him, you know, we saw the crowds for game day on campus. Everybody was so excited. And I wanted to show him the two sides of Oregon right there on campus. And I took him for his first drink at Rennie's. And then I took him for a fourth quarter over at Taylor's rest in peace. And uh, that was a very good summary of that 2018 game. Cause we got to that, that fourth quarter and it felt disastrous. It felt like everything that could go wrong was going wrong, but you couldn't look away. Um, so I think this year it's going to be really about coming out, setting the tone early uh, because even last year, even though it was 21 and six and on the scoreboard lopsided, it really didn't feel that way. It felt like our offense should have been clicking more. It felt like our, well, it was one of the first times I remember being like thinking our defense could be elite uh, with the talent on the field, but yeah, I, I, I do think that, um, it's it looked lopsided but it was a lot closer game it felt like watching it at home Oregon and Stanford they played in 2016 and 17 I know we probably don't want to talk about those two games the next game we're going to get into though 2015 the Vernon Adams game where Oregon was able to get a victory when they probably weren't expected to get one probably not a lot of people predicted they would get one a ton of big plays in this game. Taj Griffin down the sideline, a big fourth and one downfield chucked Darren Carrington for a touchdown. And finally, a batted ball. I believe it was by Tyson Coleman in the end zone to break up a play, secure Oregon's victory. That year was full of turmoil for the Ducks, but they were able to get a signature win there against Stanford. Yeah, and I really wondered in the 2014, 2015 years if that was the prime or the peak of that rivalry, especially in the years to follow. I kind of kind of wondered if we'd ever see that level of football again. But I remember just thinking, wow, um, it, 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 you would have blown my mind if you would have told me as a recruit uh, that by the time I'd be done playing, the, the two teams that would be really running and competing for the Pac-12 title would be Oregon and Stanford. Um, and even not just, you know, the, the Pac-12 title, but national title inspirations at that time, uh, aspirations at that time. The, the Stanford Cardinal are a team that, because when you play that style of football, you can be in any game, you know, with any football team. Uh, you can take the air out of the football. You can keep it away from the other team. And, and you can play bully ball. And when you can do that effectively, you can you can really establish yourself against any team. So it was really awesome during those years to see the two stylistic differences really take over. Because, again, you know, uh, Stanford just was able to grind out games and take Oregon completely out of their element sometimes. But the way Oregon was able to light up the scoreboard so quickly and just have so many guys filtering in on defense to try and keep guys fresh, uh, it was always an epic matchup, especially those two games. The 15 and 14 games, so much fun. 13 and 12, both absolute heartbreakers. In 13, it looked like Oregon might have enough to come back. Saw some crazy onside kick action. Wasn't able to do it. 2012, that was senior night. Just walk us through a little bit of what that night was like from the first kickoff till the final kick in overtime. Yeah, well, and for our, our special guest on the show, Rob Beard, it was his senior night too, and um senior night in Austin stadium is really special you get to have your your family on the field and um you know I had I had my high school coach and you know you get to shake coach, your coach's hand and have that moment to to really celebrate your career with your family and every senior gets that opportunity and 
Um, even though that game didn't go the way we wanted, that's always really special and a special moment as a duck for everyone. Uh, the the thing I, I remember about that game personally is we had a, a rough week of practice. We were so hard on ourselves getting amped up for that game. There was so much on the line and so much pressure. And I think we bought in a little bit too much to the narratives going into the game of, <clears throat> excuse me, of having to, to try and out tough Stanford. And we ended up getting into a game where we, you know, we ended up getting in way too close a battle with them and a couple calls didn't go our way. I remember particularly the one that stands out to me and will never quite make sense in my mind is that Zach Ertz catch that upon further review, they, they gave the touchdown, but I mean, when you catch the football with a shoulder out of bounds, like on, not even questionably, like in the white area, I, I just remember that. And then the, uh, the, the kick at the end, um, just the, that sunken moment of knowing your, your last game in Austin stadium is a loss. And we didn't have too many of those. Um, I only had one as a starter and, you know, that, that was to USC in a close game where we missed another kick and, those feeling to end my odds and career on that was something that took a long time to get over for sure. Well, let's start talking about the better times a little bit. I'm going to reverse what we've been doing because we've been going backwards in time. I think that there was a four game stretch for Oregon that I think was very, very important from 2008 through 2011. So the 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011 games, Oregon went three and one in those ball games. I believe one of the first beginnings of what Oregon was going to know as the future of the program occurred in that 2008 ball game. Jeremiah Masoli is at quarterback, Jeremiah Johnson, LeGarrette Blunt at the running back position. Oregon actually, I believe, either goes down or it's tied with under two minutes to play, drive the field in record time, no timeouts used, the Chip Kelly offense, flying at this time he's still the offensive coordinator LeGarrette Blunt rumbles into the end zone for a touchdown to finish out that ball game two-point conversion also good also LeGarrette Blunt this was to secure a win walk us through a little bit what you saw throughout that game but more specifically this final drive that ended up showing Duck fans what they could be expecting for the next few seasons to come well, I think one of the biggest things I learned in my redshirt year is that when, when we were preparing for Stanford that week, we practiced like it was the most physical football we could have in our practice. I know our scout team guys were asked to just, you know, even hit guys like a little bit extra, try and get up in their faces. And, you know, I, I remember coming out of that week of practice, just banged up and sore going in that game. I, I felt really confident and particularly driving down at the end, you know, I felt that, embracing that that kind of toughness on a drive uh is the best way to kind of encapsulate that that you did have that preparation that you were ready for something like that and in that moment even though i wasn't playing in the game as a as a red shirt on the sidelines uh and that energy you know you knew that oregon was going to take that thing over 2009 it's the game after oregon is able to upset usc Maybe a little bit of a hangover game because after two quarters at the half, Oregon finds themselves trailing the game 31 to 14. The rest of the way, y'all were able to outscore Stanford, but still they held on for the victory 51 to 42. But what I think this year, this game did is this game cemented to Oregon and to y'all what had to be done the rest of the season. You didn't lose again until the Rose Bowl. 
You were able to play phenomenal football the rest of the way. Talk about what that loss meant a little bit and how it was used moving forward into the season. Well, I know I mentioned it a little last week, but man, I got banged up that game and I know I wasn't the only guy, but I really love to complain about it. Um, PAT is something that every offensive lineman knows or, or field goal block team is a, a, a rigor on the body. You, you basically are trying to protect yourself and strike upwards in a single moment and hoping that you can, uh, you can keep your guy stood up long enough that he can't block the kick or get through. Unfortunately, when you play Stanford, they usually try to pick the weakest guard and send three guys in his gap, or at least in my time. I don't know if they still do people like that, but I remember stepping into that game. Um, I particularly cause Jordan Holmes was a bit banged up our center at the time. And I really thought, man, here's the thing we got to do. I got to just get down as close as I could to our long snapper and just hang on for dear life. And it did not work. I remember the first two or three times out on the field, I got buried. And so bad that when I got to the sideline, Coach Wood was chewing me out telling me, you know, I'm going to have to pull you if you honestly can't just hold up, you know, because eventually someone's going to get through, jump over him and block. So um, I had to learn very quickly in that game to to really try and strike the most inside guy and hope for the best and hope that that would hold you up against the other two guys trying to drive you back and and it was a rough day for me, a great day for Andrew Luck. I mean, he made it look easy. They set up the run game and the play action game perfect. And I remember, as I said in our last episode, uh, that was really like his national coming out party, it felt like. Speaking of national coming out parties, 2010. It's a game that we are going to dive much further in depth with our guest. But for now, let's just say it was a statement game. Everybody across the board played well. Darren Thomas, he was 20 for 29, over 230 yards, three touchdowns. LaMichael, 31 carries, 257 yards, three touchdowns. A crazy fun ball game. Oregon went down early, down 21 to three after one quarter. But by the end of the ball game, 52 to 31 victory. As Duck fans know, LaMichael James, a huge run into the end zone in that fourth quarter with just over a minute remaining. That was a statement, statement, statement. LaMichael James, 76-yard run. Nick, this is pretty much as big a game as can happen. It's can come become across, especially as early in the season as it was in early October. What was the emotion going into this ball game? A ball game that everybody knew was going to be huge. And how as that game progressed, starting slow, picking up speed, eventually racing to the finish line, beating Stanford. Just walk us through that entire day, that entire game. I, I believe to to steal a, a term that I think Harbaugh's used, we we had a game plan that induced a lot of lethal simplicity and uh, to, to kind of counter Stanford and everything they were doing. And to be honest, the energy in that game was weird because um, they came out to an early lead and it, it, it was feeling a bit like, uh-oh, guys, what are we doing? Um, when are we going to turn it on? But when we did, man, it was crazy. So one of the things I, I love about that game in particular is a lot of people love to come out and act like Oregon had this crazy offense and we were doing all this complicated stuff. But again, a lot of those carries, particularly for LaMichael and on that big run, were one of our most simple base plays, which we at Once a Duck can show you live on video and we'll have on our podcasting platforms and on our WordPress, but essentially our basic inside zone play. Uh, it wasn't anything major or simple, but we kept just gashing them for large plays on the inside. 
where our offensive line was simply just going through a basic zone blocking scheme, leaving the backside defensive end unblocked, who we'd use as our read guy. And as many of you know who are football fanatics, quarterback will just sit and watch the defensive end or whoever the read guy is and decide to either let the running back have the carry or pull the ball for himself to throw out to a receiver or run himself. So uh, we had a lot of options based around those base plays, but they were very simple calls for the offensive line, basically letting us know a play in a direction. You saw that with that lethal simplicity, we were able to execute plays very quickly. And even before sometimes Stanford was set, particularly on that play in general, I, I think all our offensive linemen could just go position block, which is for those of you that aren't familiar where you go and, and just get and beat someone to a spot and just put your hands on him. You don't have to actually drive or push them anywhere because LaMichael was gone so fast on that run and just right up the middle that no one could touch him. And it, it was, he was already gone and everyone we had out of position just because of our alignment and assignment. I think that's another thing we're going to see this coming weekend, but was particularly key to that, to that game in general. And, you know, another huge key to that game we'll be talking a lot more with Rob is the momentum change with the sudden unexpected onside kick. And as an offensive lineman, um, we had no clue. I just remember guys getting, you know, uh, an update from coach Wood and then drawing up on the whiteboard after our last series. And you're just trying to figure out, you know, what, what are we going to do next time we get the football? You're not really paying attention necessarily all the time during those kickoffs, but suddenly next thing we know it's we have the football back and our offense is going back out there already before coach Wood can even finish what he's coaching. So uh, I think not only did we catch Stanford off guard, but we, we even caught ourselves a little bit off guard with that play. And that is such an awesome play that I cannot wait to get into with Rob. It's going to be so much fun to break that down a little bit. Something I noticed that you spoke on was that read option that led to so many big plays by LaMichael James. This week, going back and rewatching the 2010 and 2011 games, I noticed a lot that Darren Thomas was actually taking those options a lot early in the games, both of them, and was definitely using it to work the Stanford players a little bit, if you will, just to get them a little bit more used to seeing him pull the ball in those scenarios. Then we're able to see later in the game when he does give it to LaMichael, boom, right up the middle, wide open lane to the end zone. Well, and, and like I said, it's a great play because the standard design is very, very simple. Everything you can see is, is very base, but you can do so many little things off it by just having the quarterback pull and throw maybe a bubble or a smoke screen out to a receiver or putting an extra back into the game and giving a pitch option. There's just infinite kind of opportunities there, but it's still a very basic, simple play that you see every team run. Before we end this segment, we do have to talk about that 2011 game. One of my favorite Oregon Stanford games, just because this year it was Oregon who was playing spoiler Stanford undefeated to this point. They ended up having a fantastic year to only taking the one loss, beating Oklahoma state, I believe in the orange bowl, if I'm not mistaken, but Oregon y'all were able to go into that game. Absolutely. From start to finish, Beat down the Cardinal. Final score, 53-30. to 30. Darren Thomas, another big game, 155 yards and three touchdowns. LaMichael, 146 yards on the ground and three touchdowns. This was a domination. This was a big moment for Oregon, who had been fighting back all season to prove that they weren't going to be defined by the one loss to LSU they had early in the season. Unfortunately, another loss did come the next week, but this was a big game, and it was one that, Oregon just looked dominant in from beginning to end. 
Yeah, and it was it was a great day, um, a really fun day to be a starter down there. Our defense played awesome in that game. I remember one of their only only real big highlights for Stanford was uh, that tackle from uh, Andrew Luck on Dewitt Stuckey after he'd thrown a pick. Uh, Dewitt thought he had a house call, but uh, and sorry, Dewitt, uh, Andrew Luck got their one highlight from that night, <laughs> but. Um, we had a lot of really interesting things in that game plan. Again, that one was pretty simple, but we had a lot more screens to start out the game, which actually going back and watching that film, you, we kind of sputtered a little bit early. Uh, Darren didn't, it, it felt like Darren wasn't very sure of himself. And then finally, once he got his stride, our offense was rolling, but not just our offense. Uh, our special teams had some really big plays in that too, as we talked about with Jeff Palmer last season. And you can go back and check that episode on SoundCloud or YouTube or anywhere. Uh, catch our Jeff Palmer interview in our uh, Oh Snap episode. But he talked a lot about uh, getting that play drawn up for him part in particular. And that was one of those special moments where, you know, you, you get to pull one on the smart guy. You get to drop a play in the dirt that looks kind of silly. It makes someone look kind of silly because they can't figure out exactly what Oregon was trying to do it back in those days. Uh, you know, it felt like those two point conversions were really, you know, uh, a huge part of the, the brand and the trademark of our offense. Well, Nick, we've broken down so many games. We've broken down exactly what Oregon's going to need to do, what they're going to be facing this coming week. Ducks and Cardinals, they are going to play tomorrow. Of course, if you're listening to this the day we put it out, they're going to be playing tomorrow, 4.30, ABC. It's going to be a great ball game. But right now, we've got a guest, and we've got a great guest. Why don't you tell the people, who do we got coming on? We already mentioned the name, but give us a little intro for this guest. Yeah, as we've already said, he was pivotal in that game against Stanford in 2010. Uh, he's a guy I've always wanted to bring on the show from the very moment I thought about it, because uh, not everyone gets to really know the kicker and uh, everyone gets to to talk smack about the kicker. And uh, Rob's actually a personal friend of mine. And, uh, you know, I remember those days as a player where you you heard people say things about your kicker and and that lack of trust, particularly with Oregon fans. Uh, in, in key critical moments. And I just remember knowing that there wasn't a guy I had more faith in in the football field to be able to block out everything completely and just execute what we'd practiced and, and what we'd been doing. But, you know, off the field, an even better guy and someone that uh, came up through the J school just like uh, yourself. So I remember going through class and growing up with him in college. And I always thought he would be one of the best guests we could get on. And what, what a better time than on Stanford week. Stanford week is the perfect week. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited for this one too. Rob Beard, people. Rob, thank you for joining us. Former guest and friend of the show, Jeff Palmer, has already been on representing the specialist, but you're our first kicker. He gave us a really unique insight on what it's like to be someone that's getting recruited as a specialist. How did a multi-sport athlete from Fullerton, California, find his way to Eugene as a kicker? Yep. Yep. That's, this is where the story begins. Right. So, uh, from Fullerton, California, I played, you know, linebacker, running back, tight end, got a chance to kick, but, uh, in high school and first, you know, Oregon had recruited me my sophomore beginning of my junior year. And then they kind of fell off. And, um, just in my highlight tapes, I always put in this, the kicking film and, we had a great running back in high school, uh, guy named Derek Coleman. He was, he played for the Seahawks for a bit and 
led the state in touchdowns and he was just a machine, which obviously led to a lot of PATs, a lot of kickoffs. So in my highlight tape, I would just put me booting the ball between the uprights and then, you know, walk down and start playing on the defensive side of the ball. But anyway, so tore my ACL my senior year, um, was recovering and, and, you know, pretty committed to going to a junior college, something staying local and figuring out a way to get to a D1 or D1 AA. But I'm getting out of physical therapy one day. And I remember I got the 541 number shows up on my cell phone, pick it up. Oh, it's Rob Beard. Yeah. Hey, this is coach Osborne from uh, university of Oregon. So start talking to coach Oz and basically he, he invites me to come check out the the school says they can help me get in uh, to walk on, help me get, you know, admissions going and everything. And my dad and I drove up to Eugene the following week, right when I pulled into Oregon, uh, I was like, wow, this is a special place. And then you know, we got even closer to campus. And that's when I just, I knew that this was the opportunity that I was waiting for. And so, yeah, I took the chance to walk on, uh, backer and juco anymore just gonna stick to the the kicking grind and see what that's all about and i think go on to the next questions but yeah that's that's really how it rob you mentioned you came in as a walk-on it's something that i think is personally so impressive to be able to come in, not necessarily be guaranteed your spot, but then be able to go in and earn it. You did earn that scholarship eventually. And I'm curious, how was life kind of different for you before you earned it? And then afterwards, once you were a solidified member of this group, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the walk-on guys, you know, we all were pretty close, um, had a really good, you know, Jeff Palmer, we, we walked on together as specialists. Uh, my roommate, Justin Hoffman, he was uh, also a walk-on. Um, great, great group of guys. So we all had to adopt a little bit more of, um, I don't know, just more effort. I don't know. It's not, no, I can't say effort. I, it would, it's more, um, you, you definitely feel like you have a chip on your shoulder, right? You have something to prove. And being a walk-on, you have to show up early every day we had a goal of being in the in the locker room opening up the locker room first um you know sitting at the front of every meeting going to classes and and doing a good job in the classroom so you kind of have that chip on your shoulder that you have something to prove and you know eventually when i did get the chance to uh get the scholarship but that's that's a fun story to tell you but um when I got the chance to get the scholarship, I knew that now this is something I have to prove even more that they made the right decision. So I kind of even kicked into the high gear from there and, you know, stuck to the fundamentals of what got me there, which was just work ethic, uh, staying dedicated to my teammates, you know, showing up early and being very, um, yeah, just pointed with, with my goals. So, which was all about becoming the starter and, and doing well in the classroom. So I would say I never really, uh, like the only, the only way it changed is it heightened when I got the scholarship. Cause I realized that now I really am in a select group of guys and, and I don't want to make, 
my family disappointed. I don't want to make Coach Kelly, Coach Osborne, my teammates. Don't want to disappoint them. So that's awesome. In 2009, we were both freshmen. It was my first start, and we were down at UCLA, and they brought you on for a 51-yard field goal. And uh, that was your first big field goal kick as a duck. And uh, as you'd know it, I missed my assignment. Guy got through my gap, blocked your kick. Sorry again. I know I've apologized a million times. Even though it was blocked, though, how did it feel yeah. knowing early on the coaches trusted you in such a big moment, especially in a game where we had a lot of backups playing and uh, it, it was a tight game? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember warming up in the, before that game and uh, the, before the game had started, you know, in the Rose Bowl, it's one of the most famous stadiums and being, cl you know, closer to home, too. I had family and friends that showed up at the game and I just had a little extra adrenaline. So in warmups, I remember just absolutely crushing the ball. And Coach Osborne, you know, he came over. He didn't say anything, but he was just watching me kick, you know, 50, 55. I, I don't – it backed up pretty far. And I think he realized that I was on that day. And he must have told Coach Kelly, like, hey, you know, Beard's making some connections and – had that chance obviously and it, I was yeah I'll, I'll never forget I mean being my first field goal opportunity I was very excited and I was a, still a walk-on at that point too which is you know kind of another piece of the whole you know mind game but uh, I, I don't think it, it affected me that much you know what what I remember most I guess looking back on that is the sound of the ball off my foot and the feeling that I knew I had, you know, struck it clean, but it's literally like the sound of, you know, a baseball bat right after that. It was like, boom, boom, <laughs> <laughs> which I think was either your, your tailbone or your, your back plate. I don't know what it was, but uh, I mean, I, I wasn't mad at you or anything, you know, like it was, you know, they had some beast guys there and I think that they, you know, they did a good job at blocking the kick, but uh, thankfully I had more opportunities after that. Throughout your career, Rob, you had a lot of really big opportunities. Coaches trusted you in a lot of really big moments. One of the first ones that comes to my mind, and I think to most Duck fan minds, is that Stanford game 2010. They send you out there. The score is 21 to 10 at the time. The momentum needs to shift a little bit. The quote that I've always heard, and it was a great quote from Coach Kelly, was, to dig yourself, to get yourself from out of a hole that you've been digging yourself. The first thing you have to do is stop digging. That stop digging came on a play. It was an onside kick call. Walk us through that play a little bit, the huddle beforehand, practicing it throughout the week. And what was that moment like when you, that moment you were able to grab the ball? Yeah. Yeah. That, that is one of my better memories of being in games. So it's, it's fun to talk about that. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, leading up to that week, that Stanford week, you know, being with Coach Rad and the other specialists, we would always try to do different type of onside kicks. And I had started practicing something kind of similar to what we had done. And honestly, Coach Rad must have said something to Coach Osborne because that Monday, you know, leading into, you know, that, that, um, Osmore comes up and he's like, Hey, I want you to you know try this onside kick. So he, 
I remember the first try was pretty good. Second try was pretty good. And he said, okay, we're going to do this in kickoff period. I said, okay. And um, we did it, you know, I, th I think, if, yeah, definitely a few times live with the, the whole kickoff group in practice. And just about every time it was me dribbling the ball over to, uh, I think it was Avery Patterson. He was uh, the R1. So yeah, the R1, R2, R3, R4, R5. And those are each number of guys, you know, to the right of the kicker. And the idea was that we knew that the Stanford uh, kickoff return tackle would leave early every time. So the idea was I would kick it straight at him. He'd be out of position. You know, the R3 or R2 would, you know, take him and then Avery would pick up the ball. So that was how it was practiced. And then, you know, game time comes around. It's obviously different. And uh, yeah, I remember I had um, field goal leading up to it. I think, yeah, we had scored a touchdown and uh, I knew we were thinking about doing it. I didn't know we were doing it right then and there, but Osborne's just, I remember he looks at me, hey, we're going for it. And uh, I was excited, but I knew that we had practiced perfectly and executed perfectly throughout the week and I wasn't yeah I wasn't nervous at all and uh you know approached the ball uh, just like I would disguised it sure enough you know the tackle left early and just dribbled it right over to him but that tackle on the kickoff return he was an athlete so he put his foot in the ground and he must have made a move to the ball and I think uh I think my teammate uh Boseco Lacumbo had maybe knocked him out or Dion Jordan did. And Avery even, you know, had to jump in there too, uh, to take somebody, make sure they didn't get the ball. And I just followed it, saw an opportunity to jump on it. And yeah, I, I took that opportunity and, uh, it was really cool. You know, just immediately I knew that, you know, something special happened, you know, the, the crowd, the teammates, you know, John Boyette, I remember running up to me, how excited he was. And yeah, I, I guess I, I, I didn't realize how important or impactful it was, you know, looking back on the game. I'm, I'm glad we came out on top. You know, I think the whole team played amazing that game with Michael. I remember played phenomenal and offensive line played great, but uh, yeah, it was, that was basically it, you know, preparation to execution in the game. That, that's one of my favorite highlights of yours too, because not not only did you get the ball, but you you beat Dion Jordan and Michael Clay to get there too. I mean, there you go. Like that that that's a good one to have on the resume. Another highlight that I really remember in our careers that was fun is the next year down at Stanford. Uh, take us back through uh, if you remember. Coach Kelly had a halftime speech that definitely helped us uh, turn the tables, some might say. Where were you at and what do you remember? Oh, man. You know, not going to lie, in the, in, when you're in the moments like that where uh, games are tight and, you know, a, a, as a specialist, you, you honestly try to tune it out. So I um, honestly, Nick, it – as disappointed it probably is to you, I, I had realized that that was going to be a, a, a tough one for us. And um, that specific game, you know, I was, you know, coming back from an injury. Um, I don't, I don't quite remember what Chip had said exactly, but I was mentally preparing myself to uh, 
be called on because I, I think at that point I was just getting back from my injury, hoping to get a shot at, um, you know, making a, taking the game winning kick or, you know, being in a position to help the team. Um, so I was mentally preparing for that moment. Unfortunately, I didn't get it. So, so to get your memory jogged uh, while you were tuning us out, Coach Kelly, this is the one where Coach Kelly came in and basically ba didn't say anything but flipped the table over and said, let's finish this game and get the hell out of uh, here. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. Makes sense. You know, keep in mind that, you know, as specialists, we would, you know, we'd come in, we'd try, try to get warm because we're standing there on the sideline and, and then we would always take off early just to get, you know, get our reps in, get some action before, you know, the game started again. But uh, yeah, I do, I do remember that now. Yeah. He, he had, he had a fun way of uh, interesting way of making things exciting in the locker room. A lot of respect for him though. Ross, speaking of making things exciting, your entire career highlight tape is one of the more fun things that I've been able to go through lately just seeing all the different types of plays that would be drawn up, whether it was a two-point conversion, onside kicks, fourth down plays, just all of the above. If you had to pick just one of these highlights on the field to represent your game, to represent your time in Eugene, what do you think that play would be and why? Oh, man. Um, that's, you know what? Um, honestly, I think it was my first kickoff ever like I so I registered my first year the next year we went to Boise you know the the famous uh Boise game with uh our friends LeGarrette um you know that game was it was tough obviously being an Oregon fan being an Oregon player um for the coaches very tough um why I'm I guess I'm talking about this you know my first kickoff is that uh was it Doug? It must've been, I think it was Doug Martin. It was some, someone really good back there, but I kicked off the ball and he made some moves. Sure. It was the blue jerseys on blue field, but uh, I, I had to make, you know, a tackle and, you know, I ended up being the last line of defense made a tackle. And I think in that moment, you know, I think, coaches the guys on the kickoff team realized that you know I'm, I'm probably not just the kicker and then so my second kickoff in that game same thing I made this tackle again and then the, the my third kickoff I, it was me and uh, another teammate we did you know assist the tackle to get together so that game was kind of I think the starting point to hey you know Rob can do something and just swing his leg and I think that's I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's what opened up the door for those two point conversions and, you know, all the other fun things I got to do. And yeah, it definitely comes to mind as, as being the kind of catalyst, you know, in my, my duck career. So beyond just, you know, what you did on the field on game days, uh, you know, I wanted you on the podcast, not just because you're a great teammate and friend, because you have a great personality and some great stories. One of my favorite ones from practice is when the entire offensive and defensive lines almost had to stop because of something you did with your elbow in a tackling drill. Uh, <laughs> could, could, could you could you walk us through that story? Oh, yeah. Yep. So 
you know, Coach Rad always making things interesting for us. You know, I, he he was a great coach to be with, and you know, we would do tackling drills, we'd do other, um, just you know, things to keep us you know athletes and fresh. But uh, yeah, we were doing one of the sleds, and uh, <laughs> I have this double jointed elbow. You can't really kind of see it with in my sleeve. But uh, anyways, I Morgan Flint. You know, he he's like Rob. You know. Do, do your elbow thing like after you make the tackle and I was like oh yeah that'd be a good idea <laughs> be a funny joke so yeah I ended up hitting the sled falling over holding my elbow like I popped it out coach rad just screams trainers and he takes off running and then all of us specialists just start busting up laughing you know good joke and immediately he looks back and he just puts his hands on his knees, laughs to himself. And I, I run over and tell him, sorry, Cody, you know, just, just a joke, just a joke. You know, so I think I got, yeah, obviously got you know, the trench men and you know, all of your attention there. And hope you guys got a good laugh out of it too. We did. <laughs> we definitely did. Yeah. Rob, I asked Nick before we got on, I asked Nick actually when we were recording the last segment, I said, Nick, what is something that Rob might have to share that's that's not just football? What else could there possibly? What else is there about Rob that I think that could be applicable? And he looks at me and he goes, "Sam, he was a J student. You're a J student. That's worth talking about. Talk about it." And so I'm just curious, as a former UO SOJCer, what advice do you have about getting through those programs? And what can you tell me a little bit about from your time as a J student at the University of Oregon? Yeah. Well, I'll start by saying that I think the biggest thing is just connections and the network you build, you know, your classmates, your professors, um, you know, Deb Morrison and just everyone involved. Like you have to get out there and be vulnerable, you know, ask people questions, speak up in class. No, no question is a bad question. So I, that's my biggest advice. Just be vulnerable, get your name out there. Um, you're building your personal brand, you know, and you learn a lot about that in the, in the advertising school is, it's just all about branding and, um, in some instances, you know, marketing too, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's my advice. My, my experience going through it was, it was awesome. Um, you know, shared it with a few teammates, you know, Nick and I, we had some classes together and, um, you know, we got to have some fun projects, you know, it's, I think, you know, what I realized towards the end of the whole experience was how um, just, you know, creative you can be. And I loved the opportunity to put my creativity to work, you know, whether it was developing an ad campaign or, you know, putting a documentary about, you know, surfing in the Northwest, um, you know, just, just awesome, awesome opportunities to be creative. And that's really what gravitated me most towards it. You know, that, that last ad campaigns, uh, class, you know, we had to, um, make a campaign for hoodoo ski resort and I'm a, I'm a big snowboarder, love snowboarding. And that one really resonated with me. I was very excited for that. And, came up with the the tagline who do you ride with they didn't pick us you know they said that was probably catered more towards you know the the younger crowds the college students where they were really looking to cater to families um 
but yeah, I mean, coming out from that, I learned how important it is to have a solid, you know, network, how to be, you know, you want to be connected to your teammates, people, you know, during school and even after school and, um, and then just overall communication skills, you know, going through spelling and grammar classes like that, that's so applicable in any profession. So, yeah, I would just say like, just pay attention to how you communicate to others and treat others the way you want to be treated. Yeah, I, I was telling Sam specifically, I remember it was an early J school class when we were freshmen and you were still undecided on a major. And I, I remember that moment, the light went off and I could see it in your eyes and you're like, Hey, you know, like we didn't take school all that seriously until that. And you were like, I think I could do this, man. And I, I just wanted to know from then to where you are today, uh, how have you been able to transition that enthusiasm to what you do now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, so I work for, um, I work for an IT services company, right. And a lot of it has to do with how do I communicate what we can do and what, and how we do it better. Right. So communication is, is a key piece to what I'm doing and it's, you know, part project coordination, you know, it's, you know, part recruiting. I have to recruit a lot of people into these projects. I manage a, a smaller team. Um, so communicating with them and being creative on solving some of the problems that we're trying to solve for our customers. That's another, you know, key piece. But I think like there's just a high need and desire to think outside the box. And that's, I think something that today school teaches you is like how to think outside the box, you know, writing storyboards on like coming up with an ad campaign. Like it's the same kind of different ways. Can I, how many different routes can I go to get to the same, you know, end place or that, that, that final destination. So I, I think it's, it's really applicable. I mean, although I'm not, you know, I didn't learn a whole lot about IT in college, but, uh, you know, having the experience of having to learn on the fly, go through courses and, you know, just go through college in general, you, you learn how to, you learn how to adapt and how to uh, pick up different skills. So that's, yeah, hope, hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> I think it definitely makes sense, Rob. You're a family man now. You're a busy guy. You've talked about your work. Uh, congratulations again on the second kid on the way. It's incredibly special stuff, but in all of your all of your experiences and time, have you found the time to be able to come back to Eugene, come back to Oregon, revisit either the program or just the city that you spent so much time in? You know, I, I love that question because, you know, Eugene has a special place in my heart. It's first place you know I moved to outside of Fullerton California um, so I take every opportunity to go back and it's amazing just to see its growth and its national attention um, you know as a kid like I, I my parents never moved me anywhere you know we, we grew, I grew up in the same house uh, never really thought or realized like I'd be leaving and just the people in Eugene, the the culture, what the university had to offer, it made that transition so easy. So it, yeah, it stays so close to me and, and just my heart in general. So yeah, I mean, when my daughter was born, couple, um, you know, when she was three months old, I took her down 
uh, four months old, took her down to her first game. Um, you know, I've, I made, I want to take her down to a, a game every year. You know, she's already saying go ducks. She, I think she's even wearing a, an Oregon shirt right now, but, um, every time we're down in that area, I always make an effort to stop over by Autzen. We, we usually park over by that dog park, you know, and, uh, we, we go for a walk and go down to the Willamette, just check out the river. My wife and I, you know, we, we met in Eugene. So it's, uh, you know, just talking about, remember that time we, you know, we got chicken bones and we brought them down to the river and we, you know, hung out and just, you know, went swimming or remember the time, you know, it's just, just stuff like that. So I, I, I make every effort as possible to get down there. And we've been doing more road trips lately, uh, back home to see my family. I've actually already done two this year. Now with, uh, with the pandemic and everything, we, we've been able to work from home and be more mobile. So every, both times on each drive, we, we stopped there, hung out for a couple hours and, you know, just rehashed like old times. So I, I, as my girls grow, I want to take them down there as much as possible. I think the people of Eugene and the university and just everything the green and yellow has to offer is, is what I want them to, to feel and see in their, uh, you know, childhood. Oh man, that that's amazing to hear. Well, We've got one more question for you. It's not so much a question as it is a tradition, but when we bring our special teamers on, as Jeff Palmer has already taught us, we have this tradition we got to keep, and we have it in the form of a question. Special teams! Be special! Ah, <laughs> I love that's it, That's a man. good one. <laughs> Thank you for coming on with us, Rob. Uh, you know, we hope you enjoy this 2020 season and uh, thanks for coming and talking those great moments in Stanford with us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to see what we can do this weekend. Uh, I think coach Cristobal, he's, he's on, he's on the verge of something really special. So hopefully he sticks around for a long time and who knows, maybe, maybe they'll name a building after him or make a statue or something, but uh Thanks a lot, guys. I, I appreciate your time, Nick. Sam, nice to meet you. You guys, uh, yeah, best of luck with, with everything. Thanks, man. Go Ducks. Thanks so much, Rob. Go Ducks. Nick, that was so much fun to be able to hear from Rob, be able to hear some of the stories of the way back when, and then also be, have him be able to update us now and what he's got going on in life. Well, you know, you got to trust me, Sam. When I pitch these guests to you, I'm only bringing on the heavy hitters, man. You know, the, guy, the guys I know that I played with uh, – they're going to be good guests, even if they are kickers. So, so if I start suggesting more specialists, you can't turn me down. Oh, I never have, and I never will. Specialists are always the most fun. They always do a good job. They always, uh, they always are special. Absolutely. May already go back and check our episode with Jeff Palmer for a little bit more of that background info there on what it's like being a specialist. I know Rob gave a great detail there, but, uh, yeah, uh, episode number three, go back with Jeff Palmer and we're going to keep that tradition going for, at least once every season, we're bringing a specialist in. But going back to the Stanford game, we've talked about it a lot, and it's uh, coming up tomorrow, Sam. Uh, what's your prediction for the game? What do you see happening? What's the final score going to be? Oh, Nick, I really didn't want to go first. I really didn't want to go first. This is a tricky one for me. It's going to be the first game of the season. Oregon's defense has been impressive throughout training camp. I think anybody who's been reading up knows that. The offense is coming along as well. It's a new system, though. Brand new offensive line. New, new man behind center. It's going to be difficult. 
I really think that Oregon might struggle to score, at least in the first half. And I think that it's going to end up being a little bit maybe low, more low scoring of a game than people expect. I think this Oregon defense will be absolutely ferocious. I think that they're going to be, especially the front seven, it's just going to be out of this world. I expect Oregon to be able to hold Stanford to 14 to 17 points. But honestly, I don't know if the Oregon offense, at least this week, is going to be able to surpass 30. So with that in mind, I'm going to make my official prediction, Oregon 27, Stanford 17. Oregon gets a 10-point victory on national television. It's a decent first step, and they're able to take that energy up north to Washington State. Well, Sam, I, I like your prediction, but I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you. I think that from what I've seen in college football this year, the score is bound to be higher than we expect. I'm going to bet the over. I'm going to even go ahead and pull back uh, my scholar baller card, do a little bit of math and say that Oregon is going to score four touchdowns on offense and at least one special teams or defensive touchdown in this game. So I've got the final score going down 35, 21 ducks. Well, Nick, we've got our predictions in. We have an interview under our belt. We spoke for an hour before this. I don't really know what more there is to do besides tell everybody, please, like, share, subscribe, all of the above. Follow everywhere at Once a Duck, and we're going to have plenty more coming throughout the season. Yeah, definitely. This is our longest episode, but we want you guys to tailgate with us this season, so that's why we're going to keep just making them as long as our, as our guests and our conversations go. So uh, we're going to be there with you this whole season, try and release the day before every single game, and uh, we're really excited for tomorrow, and uh, we hope to hear your feedback on Twitter, in the comments, and the replies. Like Sam said, like and subscribe at Once a Duck or look up Once a Duck anywhere you can get a podcast. We are now just updated to be on Amazon Music. We've been approved to be on there as our podcast. So uh, thank you very much, Amazon. And thank you to, you, to everyone who's listened. Uh, brought our YouTube, first real YouTube video up to two over 200 views in less than three days. I mean, this is just way better than we expected. We love the new format. Hope you do too. And as always, we're taking your suggestions on Twitter uh, because, you know, once a duck, always a duck. We're here for you, and uh, we can't wait to talk duck football and, and get into this 2020 season and have actual new football to talk about next week. Folks, we're going to be excited to bring it to you next week. We've got a guest that you guys are going to really enjoy. It's going to be a fun one. Nick, why don't you take us out? Once a duck, always a duck, baby. Thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great night.